seeds, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bun in country Today we're visiting with Doug Kingsley of the Park Rapids Area Fisheries Office. Uh, Doug is and his crew getting ready for a public meeting, which will be uh, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., Northwoods Bank Community Room in Park Rapids, regarding some changes, or proposed changes, I should say, to 5th and 6th Crow Wing. Uh, Doug, uh, what in the nutshell are we looking at here? Well, as you mentioned, Kevin, we're looking at, we're proposing uh, regulation changes, that would be uh, possession limits of five each for sunfish and for crappies while they're on the waters on 5th and 6th Growing Lake. And uh, do they currently just have the statewide limits there? They do. Okay. Obviously, there's something going on there that uh, concerns you a little bit? Yeah, we were approached by the Middle Crowing Lakes Association Board uh, about this regulation change a couple of years ago actually and we kind of deferred it a little bit um for one thing we don't have a real history of large sunfish in crow the fifth and sixth crowing lakes so that was a concern um the lake association had been seeing some increasing fishing pressure particularly in the winter and particularly on sixth crowing lake so we took a look at that, and we have also been seeing a decline in, particularly in sunfish numbers, in our survey um, results for some time now. And the two things look like they could possibly be related. So that's why we felt that the the proposal had some merit. Now. Um, we're still questioning, you know, exactly what we might get, but the the goals of the regulation change would be to try and improve the sizes of both uh, sunfish and crappies in those two lakes. Okay. Now, I know this uh, particular uh, special regulation has been done on other lakes in the, in the past. We've got a couple up here. I think Black Duck, they did that, and I believe Pymouche, maybe, yeah. uh, with great success, actually. Yeah, uh, and... You know, in some lakes, it has worked very well, um, particularly reducing the limits for sunfish as much to as little as five possession limit. Um, so that's why we're proposing this regulation. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that, um, you know, one of the things I've heard for years and years and years, yet if you have too many sunfish in a lake, um, then you then you run the risk of them all being stunted. On the other hand... Uh, if you don't leave them in the lake long enough, they never get to be a decent size. That's that's about the way it works, <laughs> Kevin. And uh, that would be the the way this regulation would hopefully work. Well, it's a, it's a, you're going to try it, or the proposal is for two lakes, fifth and sixth growing. I presume they're obviously they're right next to each other and and very similar lakes. I would presume they're very closely connected by the Crowing River. They are practically next to each other. And one thing that we've seen in both of those lakes, all of the fish species seem to um, fluctuate similarly, which would 
lead us to believe that there's a lot of interaction between the two lakes and and one of the reasons why we're we're looking at both of the lakes at the same time. Okay. I know one of the things that uh, tends to be a major problem uh, throughout the state of Minnesota, certainly in the northern part, is um, sometimes, particularly it seems like with sunfish, they take a ton more than they should. Yeah, we've heard, again, heard from the Lake Association that there's been some issues with over-harvest out there. Um, We have tried to enforce, you know, the existing regulations as much as possible, but our our conservation officers obviously are stretched pretty thin. Um, we were hoping that, you know, if we get a lot of buy-in on this regulation, that we'll have a lot of self-enforcement, and, and that's something cer- certainly something that we will want um, want to see. That's obviously the key, really, to uh, any uh, regulations, and you know that's why the TIP program came to be. Is that we need the people who are out there, part of the um, um, outdoors, being also part of the solution and, and using their eyes to catch a few things. Well, yeah, that's true, and that's one of the reasons why we want to get public input on this and we want the majority of the people to support this regulation uh, like i said if if we don't get good compliance with it the regulation isn't going to work so we want to make sure that it's something that the majority of the people um, are going to follow or are going to to support We've got more with Doug Kingsley coming up, plus the answer to this week's Fish and Paul Bunyan Country trivia question and another great question for the aquatic biologist. Some people say fishing is overrated. For the record, they are wrong. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Checking in with Doug Kingsley from the Park Rapids Area Fisheries Office. Doug and his crew will be having a special meeting Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Northwoods Bank Conference Room, discussing proposed new regulations for sunfish and crappies on 5th and 6th crow wings. I presume 5th and 6th crow wing, like most of the crow wing lakes, have a, a pretty good uh, number of people fishing on them. Yeah, we've, and like I mentioned, we have seen quite an increase in winter fishing pressure yeah. in particular on Sixth Crowing Lake, it Fifth doesn't have a public access, but the the public can access Fifth through Sixth Crowing Lake, which does have a public access. But in the winter time, the channel between the two lakes doesn't freeze very well, so the public can't get to Fifth Crowing Lake as easily to fish it during the winter time. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's hard to figure out. I think, uh, and you know, I'm not a biologist. But, uh, to me, it, it just seems there's so many factors. Uh, trying to figure out the, the that right that right sweet spot is is oftentimes very difficult. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's pretty pretty true. Um, we're hoping that a regulation, a reduced possession limit like this, would improve things, but it will be an experiment after all. For those who uh, are very interested in this regulation, want to be part of that meeting, give us a rundown of what generally happens at a meeting like this. 
Well, what we hope to do, I have put together a presentation that will show what we've been seeing in our survey work as far as fish, you know, the the abundance and sizes of crappies and sunfish in the lake. The that shows what we've been seeing in our winter fish house counts that uh, might reflect that change in fishing pressure out there. And then uh, what we would hope might come out of a regulation like this. I'll also point out a few of the things that we have scheduled that we would want to consider in whether we pursue a regulation like this or not. Okay. And then there's a comment time at meetings like this generally? Yeah. Um, what I would ask of people at the meeting is that if they have questions about the information I'll present, um, by all means, we want to try and address those at the meeting. But if they have opinions, um, we would ask that they just put them down in writing and either send them to us or call in or stop by our office and, and share with us their opinions about whether they would support a regulation like this or not and why or what they might uh, um, suggest as an alternative. I'll have... Um, like a questionnaire that they can fill out either at the meeting or take with them and fill out and, and return to us. Yeah, and I know there's a certain comment period that uh, that for those who can make the meeting, uh, how long does those do those comment periods last? Two weeks following the meeting. Okay. So we would ask that they have comments submitted by the 21st, uh, Friday the 21st, which okay. is actually about two and a half weeks. We've been talking mainly about the sunfish. What what are we seeing specifically with crappies? Well, as is pretty typical of crappie populations, they fluctuate quite a bit. Um, so typically we get a good year class and we see abundance increase. And then that, that larger year class quite often will suppress the following couple year classes, either through competition or through actually through predation on them. So we see a real cycle in the crappie abundance and sizes. Typically about every four years we'll get a strong year class. Okay. Um, and, again, the meeting is tomorrow night, 7 p.m., Northwoods Bank in the community meeting room, and that's right in Park Rapids. Or if they can't make the meeting, they can always um, call, phone, stop in, and, and share their comments. All right. Well, as long as we have you on the line, uh, overall uh, this year, how's it been going in the Park Rapids area? Seems like it's been kind of a slow year, Kevin. Um, I have heard a few good reports, um, but they've been a little sporadic and, and uh, you know, not real consistent. You know, that's kind of the vibe I've been getting throughout the whole area. You know, Leech Lake, uh, Winnie, um, other than Bemidji being ridiculously strong for walleyes for most of the summer until the last couple of weeks, and Black Duck having an unusually strong year for walleyes, it's been kind of a, most people seem to say it's been kind of a B or a B plus. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. All right. Well, Doug Kingsley is the main man at the Park Rapids Area's Fisheries Office. He will be at that uh, public meeting tomorrow night. Doug, we appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Up next, another tough question for Dr. Andy Hafes, the aquatic biologist. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Ask the aquatic biologist. 
Once again, time to check in with our aquatic biologist. Well, he's not really our aquatic biologist. We just borrow him from Bemidji State University, Dr. <laughs> Andrew Haves. Andy, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking a lot about zebra mussels because they've really affected a, you know, a couple of key waterways here in our sure. neck of the woods. Um, so that's what we've been talking about. But we have not talked so much about the other AIS, of which there is plenty. Uh, but what are some of those other AIS um, species that are haunting our waters right now? Sure. Uh, the DNR website, uh, Minnesota DNR website, has 18 aquatic animals that are invasive listed on their site. And some of the bigger ones, uh, common carp, have had a huge impact uh, nationally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sea lamprey is another one that just kind of had some devastating impacts in the Great Lakes. Oh, um, yes. Probably very familiar with those. Big head carp are one of the new ones that are kind of trying to make their way up the Mississippi River. Uh, you know, rusty crayfish, round goby, white perch. There's a, a whole list of them that are actually present, and, and some of them had had huge impacts, like the sea lamprey I mentioned. Okay. So, sea lamprey. What has been the big impact with that, for example? The lake trout in the Great Lakes. So, the DNR website mentions that each adult sea lamprey can consume up to like 40 pounds or kill 40 pounds of fish itself. Wow! And there were an extraordinary number of those that were in the Great Lakes, right? So it, it devastated a fishery there. Wow. So it changed the whole dynamics, and I think they're, it's rebounding mm-hmm. now, but um, decades and decades of work has gone into that. This, so. These are the types of things that happen that make, you know, uh, this state try to be so vigilant in preventing it from getting from lake to lake. Um, closer to home, you mentioned rusty crayfish. We've got that going on. We've had Eurasian water milfoil issues sure. in some lakes. Um, what's the most common one we've been hearing about lately that's been making its impact? Up plants here? you're talking? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the DNR website also mentions nine plants and yeah. uh, starry stonework. That's the one that's been yep, that's moving fast. And there's some research going on at BSU right now uh, looking into that. That's kind of neat. So. Okay. Well, and, and what what kind of the what is the biggest impact of a plant-based AIS? It seems like when you read through uh, that literature on the DNR website that most of these plants, what happens is that they don't have natural predators around here, so they can become very dense, mm-hmm. right? And that's bad for uh, ecological communities and also recreational purposes. And then also those dense mats. Oftentimes, the plants that they're replacing, so it lowers diversity in the system, and it also, <clears throat> the habitat that is created is often not as good as what the natural, normal ecosystem was. Yeah. So uh, curly leaf pondweed, right, is not necessarily as good a fish habitat as the normal pondweeds that we have here. So that's uh, the big consequence of these plants oftentimes. It is shocking how, you know, one or two strands can completely change an ecosystem right these if little, it happens to get in there yeah they're very good at a lot of the milfoil eurasian milfoil in particular that i can think of is really good at like just fragmentation causing new populations so just one little fragment right can start up a new population in a different lake if it makes it there so. yeah we don't and and of course we talked about this in the past we don't know really what the impacts are going to be long term right um and, and I remember having a conversation with you, maybe it was last year, year before, about how I was talking to somebody from the Great Lakes, and they were thrilled with the zebra mussels that got in there because it cleaned up Lake Erie. Sure. But you pointed out, okay, yeah, it's perfect now, but what's going to happen 
20, 30, 40 years from now? Is it still going to be a yeah. great deal that there are zebra mussels in there? I really like thinking about that, and that's just a neat way to, to think about this whole problem is short-term, we're doing these great things. What are we going to perceive? What is the impact going to be 100 years from now, long-term? And when the ecosystems actually come back to a a new equilibrium with these plants if we can't eradicate them, which yeah. is, seems more and more unlikely, I guess, at this point, but complete eradication. It seems that it's the right thing to do to look long-term. It's also very difficult to do it, when you're everything. living in the now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, complete eradication does seem to be um, something that probably, is, probably isn't going to happen. I know they continue to do some all kinds of experiments, and I don't even know that they've they've found a way to even reduce, really, at this point. It's been challenging, for sure, and the success stories have been pretty limited, uh, especially with the plants that I've seen. But at the same time, uh, when you think about technology, if we think back 20 years ago and what we're doing now, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of that stuff we would say is probably completely impossible, too. So uh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> that would point. Maybe our kids will... Be smarter than us, hopefully, and come up with something that we can, right? And if we can delay it until then, right. I think that would be a good thing. So that's what you guys at Bemidji State are trying to get is that next generation. That's right. We're trying to pump out the next generation of okay. rock star ecologists. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, you know, don't get frustrated when people are checking at your boats and you have to do all this stuff. Sure. There's a reason why you're doing it. Yeah, and I think we all just need to get to a point where we just do that normally on our own yep. every time. Because there's no way they can monitor every boat launch. Right. Right. And it just needs to be something you do, like buckling your seatbelt. I was going to say, there yeah. was a time nobody buckled their seatbelt. Right. I can't. I, it's just instinctive. <clears throat> instinctive now. So, yeah, that's what's got to happen. Well, Andy, thanks for your time. We always appreciate it. Thank you. Now we go fishing. <laughs>